This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 8th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Episode 92 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And this is a weekly baseball podcast. Paul and I live in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Paul, how is your weekend going thus far? Uh, It's been an eventful weekend. We were home and uh, went to a wedding. And with two kids under the age of two, that's a little crazy. Who uh, got married? Uh, Kate's cousin got married. How was your weekend? Uh, it was good. I did not go to a wedding. Pretty normal weekend. I saw uh, Manchester by the Sea last night. What did you think? Uh, it was different. I thought it was pretty good. Have you seen it? I have not. Uh, it's a pretty depressing movie. Um, but yeah, overall, I liked it. It's just, uh, it's very unique. Mm-hmm. In general, I think you're much more of a movie guy than I am. Mm-hmm. Kate and I tried to watch uh, Guardians of the Galaxy on Thursday night, and I fell asleep within a half hour. The first one? Yeah. The second one just came out. Right, yeah. And that might be a sign of like your cultural relevance. <laughs> You're always one movie in the sequence behind. Yeah, well, when you have kids, it's hard to go to the theater. <laughs> you can watch them on your TV. True. All right, uh, episode 92 of the podcast. A little intro. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some current events in baseball, including the Red Sox-Orioles feud. And how wrong I was last week when, uh, I, decla- think it was over? when I declared that the Orioles-Red Sox feud was over. Uh, yes. Um, and then uh, we've got our first episode in the Saturday Night Live month for baseball on TV. Bob Uecker was the host back in 1984. And then uh, we have a deep dive on former Red Sox great Tony Canigliero. Mm-hmm. Got to get that pronunciation down. His nickname was Tony C, so we can just call him that. What was his full name? Tony Canig- Canigliero. 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 Tony C. Yeah, so we're excited. Um, also might have a surprise uh, guest appearance, so be in your toes, a foot in the box nation. Uh, first, though, our Nelly update. Got one I'm pretty excited about. Uh, so thanks to him for our intro song. Really appreciate uh, him letting us use it. Uh, Nelly follows uh, 1,500 people roughly on Twitter. That's a lot for and, a celebrity. Uh, Saturday nights, I, I uh, um, took it upon myself to look through that entire <laughs> list. Or most of that list. He's not following us, is he? He's not. I'm guessing about, I looked at it like 75%. Um, but I just couldn't take any more. So the, he follows uh, about 20 or so baseball players or personalities or accounts. And I'm going to list those off for you, um, starting with the ones that you would expect. So he follows the Cardinals' official account. He follows Major League Baseball's official account. You would expect that, obviously. Uh, he follows uh, Mike Piazza. Hmm. You'd expect after his spat with him right. a couple months ago. Uh, he follows uh, Carlos Beltran, Ozzie Smith, Lou Brock, again, people you'd expect, Matt Carpenter, Yadier Molina, Joe Buck, 
Uh, and then let's uh, kind of get into the weeds a little bit. Uh, he follows Joe Kelly, I guess hmm. f- former Cardinal, mm-hmm. and now Red Sox pitcher Joe Kelly. He follows Mike Matheny. Follows Jason Mott, former Cardinal. Uh, follows Shane Robinson and Daniel Descalso. Wow. Two Cardinals utility types. And uh, the one that I still can't figure out, he follows Derek Holland. White Sox pitcher? White Sox starting pitcher Derek Holland. Hmm. I don't, what, is Holland from St. Louis? Sure. I didn't look into it too much, but yeah, that was the one that didn't make much sense to me. But uh, he also follows a lot of uh, women he should not be following. <laughs> Very scantily clothed women. Um, hmm. So, uh, so that's at, what that's why I had to after stop. doing a deep dive um, on his Twitter followers. Oh, we can't use deep dive in that. Sorry. Um, after Trademark. after taking a look at his followers, do you feel like uh, this is Nelly's like personal account? Like, do oh, you, absolutely. You think he's following all these people? Yes, absolutely. You don't think he has like a PR person or? Uh, I mean, I'm sure he does, but yeah, this seems to be his hmm. his doing. That's probably pretty unique. Most like, you know, Justin Timberlake will tweet every now and then. You can tell it's from him, but mostly you follow not. Justin Timberlake on Twitter. No, but I saw he he had a big retweet at the beginning of May, and so I was I happened to look at his account. Mm. Um, but most are not their own, so I, I kind of like that Nelly like it's his own account. Mm. Yes. All right, Paul. So uh, let's quickly take a look around at baseball before we do our uh, baseball on TV. Uh, so the Red Sox Orioles have had this big dispute. Uh, we talked about it last week on the podcast, maybe even the week before. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember. It's kind of been drawn out. I am pretty sick of the whole thing, um, and I think most baseball fans are. Yeah, I am um, too. But for fans, you know, that have kind of checked out or just getting into the baseball season now, uh, perhaps some Raptors fans or some Jazz fans that are losing uh, their basketball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the playoffs, um, I would like you to recap the Orioles-Red Sox feud in uh, 30 seconds. Wow. Beginning now. Alrighty. Well, about a week and a half ago, uh, Manny Machado slid into second base uh, to break up a double play. Dustin Pedroia got hurt, took offense to it. It seemed like, you know, uh, both sides had resolved things after the fact. Things escalated when Daniel Barnes, reliever for the Red Sox, uh, looked like he threw at Manny Machado, hit his bat, but was right next to his head. That caused the Red Sox, or that caused the Orioles to be upset. They hit Mookie Betts. That caused the Red Sox to retaliate, tried to hit several Orioles, including Manny Machado again, which ultimately meant that Chris Sale threw a pitch behind Machado uh, earlier this week. Am I at 30 seconds yeah, yet? Well past 30 okay. seconds. Machado took offense to that. Uh, the Orioles retaliated and... Well, the Orioles the, did not retaliate. The next day. Well. No. The Orioles hit somebody the next With day. With a curveball. And that pitcher was ejected. Yes. Shouldn't have been. Kevin Gossman. Right. You agree he shouldn't have been ejected. Uh, yeah. I think Sale should have been ejected. And I think, uh, well, if Sale had been ejected, I think any hit batter after that probably would have resulted in. Even on a curveball? Yeah. It was 70 miles an hour. Sale threw 98 behind Machado's back. Mm-hmm. Gossman hit someone in the elbow on a 75 mile hour curveball yeah it's ridiculous yeah and I, you, you did also didn't mention that adam jones was treated pretty poorly by red sox fans yeah i mean i think the biggest learning for me in all this i didn't realize that boston fans i don't want to generalize here are kind of um scumbags or some of them you know i read um you know after the jones stuff came out mookie betts 
you know, Red Sox player said that Boston was a race, kind of a racist town. CC Sabathia came out and said the same thing. People were, uh, you know, tweeting quotes from Bill Russell. I don't know if you saw this. He said, Russell back in the day said that Boston was a flea market of racism Mm -hmm. where you had about every kind of racist there could be um, living there. So yeah, just a bad week all around for Boston. And I didn't, I didn't really realize fans were that like hard hearted there. Yep. Uh, Doug Glanville, uh, recently fired by ESPN had a good, um, uh, I guess like opinion piece in I think in New York times and we'll, I'll link to it in the podcast episode page. But, uh, he talked about how, uh, when he was uh, getting drafted and when, uh, he was getting kind of rumored to be in trades that Boston was like the one town he did not want to go to hmm. because of the reputation that it had. He appreciated the standing ovation. Mm-hmm. That happened one batter before, or one, yeah, one batter before uh, Machado got thrown at by Sale. Uh, Adam Jones came up in the first inning, and all the fans gave him a well, standing and, ovation. And, and, and Sale and, Sale was praised for that too, because he took he's notoriously a super fast worker, and he took took time took time. Yeah, yeah. So I was pretty torn on like whether it was actually a cool moment, because it seemed so hollow. Like you know, oh, we're solving all our problems by just like standing and applauding, mm-hmm. but not like working to find solutions. Uh, but Betts asked Red Sox fans to do it. And then Glanville kind of, uh, confirmed that for me by saying it was a cool thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah. a, uh, fan was banned, uh, for life the next really? day. Yeah. He was banned. Okay. Yeah. How, how is that enforced? I guess credit uh, cards or something. Well, no. F- oh, that's yeah. You mean moving forward? How is it enforced? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I thought you were asking like, how, how do you figure out who a racist is at a game? Yeah, I'm sure there's people, eyewitnesses. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Machado fan. Um, Does, he, I know he can kind of be a jerk, but it's just like he's right in this case. Like, stop throwing at him. Mm-hmm. I was talking with a friend earlier this week, and they kind of like the unwritten rules of baseball. You know, players taking matters into their own hands. Is there any part of you that enjoys... Is that, that friend a listener of this podcast? Uh, yes. Hmm. Um, I'll refrain from commenting <laughs> then. Yeah. Uh, no, and we're going to move on. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, quick updates on things we've talked about before. Eric Thames has cooled off considerably. Uh, obviously, stopped taking steroids. Uh, hasn't homered in a game since April 25th. Uh, this past week, he went 3-for-20 with uh, just three walks. Teams have stopped uh, throwing around him, and he's not hitting well. Uh, the Yankees and Nationals continue to be the best two teams in baseball, in my opinion. Yankees are 19 and 9 with a plus 51 run differential, and the Nationals are 21 and 9 with a plus 53. Both are highest in their respective leagues. The Nationals, uh, 18 of that plus 53 came in last Sunday's win over the Mets, uh, 23 to 5, hmm. where Cindergard uh, uh, had to leave early. Uh, I was pretty excited because um, Trey Turner is on my fantasy team, so I yeah. got all excited. Nationals scored 23 runs. I think Turner went one for seven. Mm. Like a run or something. Pretty disappointing. Yeah. Every time I see a Nationals score the rest of the year, I'm going to be disappointed because Adam Eaton was on. He was my best fantasy player. And now mm. now I had to release him. Uh, fantasy update. I picked up Cody uh, Bellinger mm-hmm. this week. Uh, 21-year-old for the Dodgers. Right. Uh, it was just supposed to be a temporary uh, call-up. But he hit so well that he's now the first baseman for the Dodgers. Since being on my team, he is 9 for 21 with three home runs and a uh, one slugging percentage, a 1,000 slugging percentage. Does that mean Adrian Gonzalez is 
not he, playing? He's on the DL, but uh, yeah, they're just kind of, I think, stashing him there. Okay. Uh, so the Mets have had a rough week. We talked about, you know, the 23-5 debacle. Syndergaard's out now a couple months. Harvey was suspended today for three games. Not sure exactly why, but uh, that should probably come out by the time this comes out. So, uh, yeah, suspended three games without pay. Uh, Cespedes is done for at least another month. Steven Matz is hurt. Uh, all these guys going down. So the narrative is definitely like, oh, the Mets, what a train wreck. I'm actually going uh, to buy Mets stock right now. I'm advise, advising people to not hate on them too much. Because injured players are going to return? or uh, Somewhat. So they're 14 and 15. So the record's not that bad. Mm-hmm. They actually won four out of five this past week going into Sunday. Uh, Michael Conforto has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Jay Bruce has been great. Uh, would I bet on them making the playoffs? No, but I don't think their season's over. None of their players are like out for the season like Eaton mm-hmm. or um, Shelby Miller. So I don't know. I, I'm like higher on them than I would be like the Giants or the Jays, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, I well, just, I, I don't think it's a like season-ending bad stretch. Another thing to think about there is like how muddy the wild card race will be. Like you mentioned the Giants just now. If you start naming other contenders for the first and second wild card, you, I mean, the Cardinals and Pirates have both looked pretty subpar. The, I mean, the Giants have been the, like the worst team in the NL West. Worst the, team in baseball. I mean, the Rockies are currently in contention, but I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd pick the Mets over any of those teams. So, it, you know, it favors them that it's such a soft National League race. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> uh American League, uh, the Royals and uh, Jays were supposed to be contenders, but they're terrible. Yeah, both. What do you, what do you have to say about that? Uh, I talked about the Royals last week. Their offense is atrocious. The, I, I think they should trade Kane and Hosmer. Um, there's no way I'd give Hosmer what he's asking for. And then, I mean, you kind of called the Blue Jays, oldest team in baseball. Uh, I did just pick up Jose Bautista on my fantasy team and proceeded to go 0 for 9 this weekend. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, the American league is similar. The, the wildcard race will be, um, there for the taking. Uh, all right. Uh, two updates that I'm going to try to do every week here on the podcast. Uh, first one is Harper versus trout. Uh, they're both in the top 10 in war. Um, but, um, uh, Yankees outfielder Aaron judge is the, is the current leader in war. According to baseball reference, trout is at 2.2 Harper 1.9. Uh, Harper still leads baseball in on base percentage at 504. Uh, but both players are dealing with small injuries. Uh, Trout has a sore hamstring, and Harper has a tweaked groin. So uh, uh, that might hurt their overall numbers mm-hmm. for the next week or so. But both obviously having great seasons. And then lastly, my David Ross update. Uh, he is still in Dancing with the Stars. He has made the final five. And I'm pretty sure the show comes out on Monday. Because that's every time I, every time Monday rolls around Monday night, I see David Ross updates. Uh, I have an update on that. Uh, well, I wasn't finished. I'm sorry. Did go you ahead. see the video where his his partner farted in his face? <laughs> I did not know. In practice on the show, they showed them dancing, doing their routine, and she apparently farted in his face. And uh, you're you're supposed to think it's like the funniest thing ever, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not. So if you if you just Google David Ross fart and watch the video. You'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, my update was, uh, as you mentioned, I was, well, maybe you didn't mention this, but I was home for the weekend, so I got to see mom and dad. 
And I was all geared up. We were talking about the Cubs and uh, David Russ. I was geared up to like poke fun at the fact that he was on Dancing with the Stars. And I asked my mom, you know, have you been watching any of that? And she said, yes. You know, it's the most I've watched Dancing with the Stars. It's really fun to watch. Mm. Um, So there are people that are enjoying it. I know. That's why I'm doing the update. Right. People have gotten sucked in to David (laughs) Ross media hypnosis. Yeah. She was fairly unimpressed with his dancing. So she hasn't totally got sucked in. All right. uh, Before we get to uh, baseball on TV, I wanted to talk to longtime listener and friend of the podcast, David. He's currently attending a Seattle Mariners game while on vacation in Seattle. So uh, we thought we'd check in with with David. Peter, what's up? David, uh, you're on our podcast. Thought I'd do a little mar- a little mar- Marlins man's action. All right, let's do it. Uh, so yeah, give us your uh, analysis of Safeco. I assume this is your first time in Seattle. It's actually my second time. Wow. I was here in '01 when it opened. So the retractable roof. When I was here the first time. They explained it that the rain only comes from one side, so the roof actually doesn't cover the whole field. Huh which I don't really understand. It seems very half-baked to me. But uh, a lot of interesting things going around going on around here. They have LED lighting hmm. instead of, like, the usual stadium lighting, which I don't know if that's anywhere else in any sport. Uh, apparently it was, like, an Edgar Martinez initiative. So I guess he's in the lights now that he retired. The other thing that's weird is they have, like, a garden uh, right beneath the batter's eye in center field. And I guess they, like, make salads and sell them from the garden. Hmm. So there's a lot of interesting things going around here. The grasshoppers, uh, you can buy grasshoppers to eat. That's, like, the big uh, big story, I guess, for this season. Did you get them? So I saw a female. I didn't because I didn't even see them for sale. I think they only saw them, like, one place. There's a pretty good clip, uh, if you want to look it up, this uh, – on-field reporter for one of the local news stations tried them, and she just like almost puked. So I think I don't think they're that great, but that's kind of a big uh, novelty here. But besides that, it's a great day out. Sunny, a uh, little cloud coverage, so it's not too hot, but definitely a good day to take in some below 500 baseball. What What's the score? Right now it is two to zero Rangers. Mm. I don't I've never heard of the guy pitching for the Mariners. Uh, Overton, I don't know. It says he was making his first start this year, so I don't know if we got a got slighted, but regardless, uh, the offense should be coming today. Uh, 2001 was the last time you were there. They won 116 games that year, right? Yeah, it was like right when Ichiro was there, so like the Ichiro mania was amazing. I got really into Ichiro. I wasn't like, I'm from Iowa, so it was like another world away, but we actually drove out there in 01, so it was like kind of more monumental. We flew this time, so it was kind of cheap. But uh, back then, I mean, that, that Mariners team was so much fun. They had Brett Boone and uh, when he was MVP. He won MVP, right? I'm not just thinking of that. Uh, sure. All right. Well, you can get your stat guys working on that. Uh, but that Mariners team was so much fun. Where does, uh, where does Safeco rank among the other parks you've seen? It's uh, a good question. So I've been to what what Pittsburgh Stadium? PNC. What's that called? Yeah, I've been there, and that's really nice too. Uh is definitely up there. Let's see. Of the the like the really good ones I've been to, 
Safeco, PNC, not Wrigley Field, <laughs> guaranteed rate field. Uh, sorry, that's just a little Homer and me. So I went to the old Turner Field is pretty nice, but it's kind of just basic. Um, growing up in the '90s when the Braves were on PBS, it's kind of like a you know, kind of like a mecca type situation because you see them on TV all the time, then you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, see them every week. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones I've been to that have been great, but those are the big ones. One Toronto. Is that still called Rogers? It's Rogers. Rogers Center. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting stadium. They have the hotel in it and, uh, you know, dome, but that's, uh, that's another good one. Uh, Brett Boone got third in MVP voting, uh, 37 home runs, 140 RBIs in 2001. 140? Uh, yes. Jeez. Yep. Good for him. Uh, again, 2000, so, Yeah, Royds. Uh, last question for you. Uh, what's, what's the vibe, what's the vibe of the Seattle crowd? I gotta be honest. There's some characters here. The, I haven't, oh, single. <laughs> rally starter don't do play you can't do you can't do play by play oh yeah sorry ignore that (laughs) nothing happened anyway uh interesting vibe here i haven't seen macklemore that's the most disappointing thing i figured macklemore would be like in the stands with us because he's always talking about how great every seattle team is so that's the biggest disappointment but besides that they're all very friendly the staff here i've been small talking it up about you know the local eats and whatnot, they're all very friendly. So, good vibes, good time. Nice. Well, this has been uh, a podcast listener goes to a baseball game, and so we called him at the game. Uh, David, thank you yeah, for thank, no, you, thank you for your time. No problem. Go Mariners. Go Rangers. The White Sox. <laughs> Cubs are all right. So uh, this week's Baseball on TV, like we announced last week, is uh, the first installment, first episode in our uh, Saturday Night Live month. So for the next four or five weeks, uh, we're going to each week talk about one baseball player slash announcer slash manager that hosted Saturday Night Live. Uh, Saturday Night Live has been around since the uh, 1970s, kind of an American uh, staple. Mm Mm-hmm. At this point, and the first ever baseball guest was uh, Bob Euchre hmm. in uh, 1984, and I was surprised by that. It was it was uh, the tenth season of Saturday Night Live, and he was the first ever baseball guest. He was the fourth uh, sports guest to host. Uh, Sir Fran Tarkenton, I think quarterback for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I probably should know more about him. Seems like an all-time great. That is a memorable name. So he was the first ever, and then OJ. Wow. Uh, which would be a, a good one to rewatch. Pre-murder, I assume. Yes. Uh, and then uh, Bill Russell hosted twice. So uh, Bob Eucher was the first uh, baseball um, person to host, and he hosted on October 13th, 1984. It was actually during the World Series. The Tigers beat the Padres in the World Series that year. So uh, I'm sure that was kind of in NBC's mind. You, baseball would have been in, in kind of the national conscience, similar to when the Cubs uh, hosted this past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, or were on SNL. I guess they didn't host. but Or did they host? 
no, I think we talked about that last week. They just, uh, yeah, they did their dance skit thing at the end. Okay. Uh, Bob Eucher, I was thinking, you know, if he's hosting SNL, he uh, definitely would have been in Major League by that point. Like, or uh, I know he was in that uh, Mr. Belvedere in the sitcom. Mm -hmm. But that actually came after this SNL appearance. Major League uh, started in 1989, and then Mr. Belvedere was 1985 through 1990. Um, but you, I mean, Euchre was a household name because he had done a couple World Series. He didn't, yeah, he did national games. Um, so that's uh, for ABC and NBC. That's why he was known during the, set, during the seventies and eighties. He was also a guest on um, a late night show with Johnny uh, Carson. Johnny Carson, yep, the Tonight Show. Tonight Show, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, he was a common guest on there as well. All right, so that is what you need to know about Bob Euchre on SNL going to play a few clips for you from that episode, mainly from his opening monologue and then um, from his farewell with the whole cast surrounded, surrounding him. And then a couple clips mixed in. Is that It's pretty bad. Uh, I'll link to it, um, the, the clips, and you actually have to download the SNL app on your phone to watch them. Uh, Which is free. It is free, but it's frustrating because you, you can Google like Bob Eucher SNL and all these videos will come up on NBC's website, but they don't play. Mm-hmm. Or at least I didn't play for Paul and I. Uh, so download the SNL app. You'll have it all month long uh, for these these clips. But uh, here is Bab Uecker uh, on uh, SNL from 1984. Thank you. Thank you very much. What better a guy to have here tonight during World Series week than Mr. Baseball? Anyway, some uh, 20 years ago, 1964 to be exact, I was a member of a World's Championship Club, the St. Louis Cardinals. And this being our 20th anniversary, uh, they had their 20-year reunion this year. And I actually found out about it through the uh, grapevine. I didn't uh, <laughs> get invited. They told me they had a, uh, like a mix-up in their mailing deal, so <laughs> I did call, and uh, they did invite me after I called, and uh, I mean, going back and seeing all those guys, it was truly unbelievable. I can remember riding in the cab uh, with my uniform on, uh, to the ballpark and getting to the ballpark and getting out of the cab and my wife and the cab driver standing there and uh, you know like we stood around like for about an hour and uh, there were no people there so I thought well uh, maybe they built a new ballpark in St. Louis and uh, we checked a Yellow Pages book and uh, sure enough they did have a new ballpark so uh, back into the cab and uh, down to the new ballpark, and there is where I really almost fell over. I got out of the cab, and uh, there's a statue of me outside the uh, St. Louis ballpark. Uh, it's a little screwed up. Uh, they have me, like, batting left-handed, but I was a right-handed batter. But, uh, you know, like, the uniform and everything else is the same. And uh, she's right on the bottom, uh, the guy's name big letters, uh, some, some guy named Stan the Man, I guess he made it. <laughs> uh, did a beautiful job on it. Uh, and you know, once you uh, 
once you are a member of a world's championship club, uh, there are numerous money offers. I mean, very lucrative money offers. And uh, I took the one that was best for me uh, from the uh, Rawlings Sporting Goods Company. Uh, a tremendous amount of money uh, paid to me, uh, never to be seen in a piece of Rawlings equipment. <laughs> You had to make an error in a big game. You're gone, pal. Your history, huh? <laughs> huh? I can't believe my own father is kicking me off the team. No, not just off the team, Billy. No, not just off the team. I mean, you're released from the family. You don't live here anymore. <laughs> but, but, but this is my home. Hey, you want to stay here? Then you paint yourself gold and sit up on that shelf where the championship trophy should have been, huh? I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I, I'm a good son. Oh, so? I, I keep my room clean. Yeah. And I get good grades. Yeah, grades. Grades don't mean anything to me, you know? Catch the damn ball, huh? <laughs> huh? Look, your mother and I think it's best if... And for the team, too, if you leave the house. Where do I go? What do I do? Well, you're going to be with the Martin family. We've optioned you. <laughs> but, Dad, you know what? Maybe it's just a slump. I'm in a slump, Dad. It's not a slump, Billy. Hey, when you're eight years old, it could be a slump, okay? You're 12. You've peaked. You've peaked. You've had it. Can't you take it like a man? Huh? Your brother did. <laughs> but... Huh? Dad, I don't even like the Martins. You'll love it there. They'll do math with you. <laughs> Give me a break. Adios, baby. Come on. But now. Dad, Dad, I, I love you. Dad, but Dad, I. You'd be good. Huh? Bye. Yeah. Oh, Billy. Yeah, Dad. Yeah. Hey, don't forget to turn in your key to your house key. I'll take that too. Don't forget it. Okay. But Dad, it was a bad bounce. I take it in the face next time, Dad. I, I promise. I did. It just could have been a great one. But Dad. <laughs> Mr. Rod Jones, I'm Juan from Havana, Cuba. Well, I'm your new dad and your new manager. Oh, mira, mira. Well, sure, it's almost all over but the exiting here in New York City. Vin Scully with Joe Garagiola back with you for just a couple of seconds to reflect on the events of the evening. And Joe, what a spot for a first-time outing by what you have to believe is a very nervous Bob Yuki. Oh, no doubt about it, Vin. You know, this guy, you know, Yogi, he's like a 63 Volkswagen, this guy. You know, he may look beaten up, you know, but that darn thing still starts. You know, you gotta love that guy. He came to talk. Well, that's the way we saw it. Now down on the goodnight stage, Mr. Bob Euchre himself. Bob, were you sweating down there? How did it feel? Well, I gotta be honest with you, Vinny. Uh, not as bad as when I first signed my pro contract. 3000 bucks. Very small bonus. Aggravated my old man unbelievably. Mm -hmm. Didn't have that kind of money to put out. Oh, no. <laughs> we love you, Bob. The corner phrase. I love him. You know, Vinny, tell him about next oh, week. Oh, my huh? pleasure, sir. Next week, Jesse Jackson up on the mound. Oh, that guy is some kind of reverend. Along with Andre Crowd. There's a barn burner for sure. Oh, Double header, Vinny. For sure. Till then, see you tomorrow for the showdown in Motown. For Out of the Box this week, uh, I read an article by Christine Byers in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The headline kind of tells the whole story. Cards fan grazed by stray bullet during game at Bush. Uh, Peter, did you follow along? <laughs> I saw the headline. So uh, 
Yeah, as I mentioned, the headline tells the whole story. A woman we should have tried having this person on. A woman was grazed in the arm by a stray bullet during Tuesday night's Cardinals game. Uh, the fan obviously was inside Bush Stadium. She was sitting in section 141, which is on the first level. And uh, she didn't have any comments, or at least didn't give any comments to the paper. But uh, one Todd Porter of O'Fallon, Illinois, was at the game and sitting right next to her, along with his 13-year-old son, Christopher. And uh, he um, had quite a few comments to give to the paper. So uh, just quoting here, he said, The woman was seated directly in front of him. And he reported that she suddenly said, wow, I think I've been shot. Just as the eighth inning was coming to a close, uh, Porter says, we thought she was joking, but everybody turned around and she showed me the blood coming down from her elbow. Mm. It looked real purple and red, and it looked like there was a hole in her jacket. Um, And then a a bullet slug was found uh, right where she was um, sitting after the fact. So it seems to be... Uh, valid story and um, kind of a, a scary story. What's interesting is that this is actually the fourth time this has happened. 2012 at Tropicana Field during a Marlins Tampa Bay Rays game. It's a dome. Uh, same thing happened. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's bizarre. Uh, 2000 uh, at Kauffman Stadium during a Pirates Royals game. Um, same thing happened. Uh, that fan was, was up in the upper deck. The most interesting one in 1965, a robber tried to hold up the ticket office at Sportsman's Park and uh, uh, fired a shot, which ricocheted off a wall and landed 400 feet across the diamond um, and hit uh, a woman. And uh, they tracked down this woman's, the victim's uh, daughter, and she said they didn't file a lawsuit or anything but they were compensated with three uh, baseball tickets for uh, all the pain she had to go through. Now, where was that at? That was at Sportsman's Park. Where's that? I believe Philadelphia, but I'm not positive. (laughs) Good work. Thank you. Uh, But it got me thinking, the most bizarre or weirdest things you've seen as a fan at a baseball game. And I thought of a couple off the top of my head, but before I give those, do you have any, Pete? Mm. One, your, one of your memories come at games that I was at. Yes, actually, number one involves you. Was it the Red Sox? Yes. <laughs> uh, so the question is most unusual things. Yeah, most bizarre, weird thing in the that you've witnessed in the stands as opposed to on the field. Boy, this might get a little racy. I remember leaving a Cubs game when I was little, and. Uh, seen in the parking lot outside the 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 park seeing a uh, woman performing a uh, an act on a man hmm people were having sex outside the stadium well, it was it was a type of sex hmm right outside the stadium uh yeah block or two away see the south side gets a bad rap but Regaville's just so bad. that's the most unusual i was of the things i've been involved with you know outside the thing you're going to talk about uh, I was eating a uh, a baseball helmet ice cream thing at, at the White Sox, mm-hmm. at a White Sox game a couple years ago. And so it's like all this ice cream on top of a funnel cake. When you get to the funnel cake, it's very hard to cut it up because it's so soggy from the ice cream. And so I was trying to cut it with some ice cream left, and it like flung out of the helmet <laughs> onto like, the lady in front, mm. just covered her. And so uh, that was also a memory that I had. That she was not happy? Uh, she was fine. I had to like run and get napkins and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the the one that 
Peter and I were just referencing. It's probably number one on my list. Uh, we were probably eight or nine years old. Yeah, older than that. So I guess preteen though, right? Uh, yeah, I'd guess 12 or 13. We were on a family vacation to Boston. Um, the Red Sox were playing the Angels. Mm-hmm. And uh, our older brothers, uh, John and Kevin, convinced uh, Peter to act like uh, one of the children from Angels in the Outfield. And to, we were in the upper deck, or at least pretty far back in the lower deck. Yeah. To stand up and yell at Tim Salmon as he was batting, Hey, Tim, we've got one, in reference to an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad immediately tried pulling him down, but I think he got it all out. Mm hmm. I think there's a picture. Is there a picture? Yeah, I think there's a picture. So that uh, was, that's probably number one. Um, you think people around me remember that? Certainly, yeah. But there's at least one person that remembers that. Yeah. Uh, now, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. You didn't know it was in reference to Angels and Angels? No, I just, yeah. just caught up in the moment. Which, no, knowing my kind of personality now, I'm shocked that I had enough courage to do well, that. Well, it took almost the entire, I mean, we were... It was almost like a bet. We were talking the whole game about mm-hmm. who was going to do it. Um, the The other one I have is uh, seeing uh, a guy pee at Wrigley during a rain delay <laughs> under the center field bleachers. Mm. He like picked the corner and uh, peed back there. That was mm. pretty bizarre. Uh, also, an honorable mention, uh, I once witnessed as a fan at a T-ball game two, uh, um, two fans get into a brawl. Parents. Parents get... Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember that? I do. Yeah, we were umpiring, right? Umpiring or like grounds crew or something. I also had to eject the first base coach. He was uh, drunk. Mm. That was that was rough. But that's mine. Um, it's kind of scary as a as a fan to go to a game and. So this lady, did she get any like compensation or anything? Uh, thus far, they yeah, she hasn't made any comments. So I think. Uh, police said there was a shooting a block away from the stadium, an alleged shooting, and so they they think it, uh, the the gun was fired in the air and it just happened to travel into the stadium. Awesome. Uh, well, my out of the box this week uh, first, my favorite post to write this past week was on Monday, May first. It was the anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death. Uh, so that news broke late on a Sunday night, and so Sunday night baseball was going on. The Mets and Phillies were playing. And um, kind of as part of that national moment, this game has really gotten tied up in that because um, when it was announced, when people started to figure it out, uh, it was certainly the largest group of Americans to like experience it together. Mm-hmm. So the top of the ninth inning, people started um, realizing what had happened, and then uh, some USA chants got started. And um, as um, was it as Jason Bay was batting, yeah, yeah. So in the article, I. I talk about the ESPN um, E60 piece that was done about it and Jason Bay who was hitting is from Canada and he um, initially thought they were like giving him a hard time because mm-hmm. none of the players realized it until they got back in between the top and the bottom of the ninth um, but some really interesting quotes from uh, Dan Schulman the play-by-play announcer that was his, actually his first year his like third week on the job after mm-hmm. taking it over from John Miller um my uh, real article for Out of the Box this week comes from Sam Miller of ESPN. He's one of our favorites. Survive layoffs, uh, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sam uh, is always good at writing, but this week he wrote about the Mets and uh, pitching injuries. 
and it kind of caught some flack because kind of a controversial premise. So the title of the article is Baseball Without Injured Aces, Be Careful What You Wish For. And essentially the thesis of the of the article is, you know, injuries suck and they're not fair, but baseball is better for them. And so on Twitter it went nuts because, hmm. you know, oh, ESPN, after all these layoffs, is writing articles, you know, hot take articles about mm-hmm. how injuries are good. But, of course, we know Sam Miller doesn't really fall in that camp. His, his argument, maybe we'll get into it, is mm-hmm. is it that offense would just be at all-time lows? Yes, the game would be much more boring. Hmm. So Noah Syndergaard is done for a few months with a partial lat tear. Uh, he was hurt in the, the Nationals game where they scored 23 runs. And we talked in the offseason, he gained 17 pounds Crazy. of muscle. Uh, so he's 6'6", 240. What was that meal he had every day? Yeah, it was like in Texas. He ate the same breakfast every morning. It was like a crazy amount of protein. 800 grams of protein? Mm-hmm. Not that much. Well, Yeah, I was just saying a number. Not much of a bodybuilder, are you, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you haven't had 800 grams of protein this year. What's like a... How many grams of protein are in a piece of chicken? Oof. I don't know. Protein bar has like 15. But it had a ridiculous amount of protein. Yes. So I looked. Uh, only three guys that have been that big, or you know, 6'6", 240 or bigger, have ever th- uh, thrown 200 or 2,000 career innings. And those three that have done that, CC Sabathia, Aaron Harang, and Jamie Wright. And Sabathia is the only guy with a war uh, for his career over 25. Hmm. So Syndergaard is done for a few months now, but I would be surprised if, unless he loses weight, changes the way he pitches, if he um, can be a, you know, good starter for a long time. Yeah, Randy Johnson was wouldn't have made the weight limit. Yes. Yeah. Six six, minimum height, and then two forty is minimum. Yeah, that's weight. huge. Mm-hmm. Sabathia is the first three hundred pounder according to Baseball Reference. All right. Uh, so there's been a, a lot of pitching injuries this year, like most years. Uh, just rattling off the list that I looked at. Corey Kluber, these are all guys that have been on the DL. Uh, Corey Kluber, James Paxton, Cole Hamels, Felix Hernandez, Shelby Miller, Aaron Nola, Madison Bumgarner, Rich Hill, John Gray, Garrett Richards, Andrew Kashner, Carlos Rodon, Sonny Gray, David Price, Chris Tillman, Colin McHugh. James Shields. Yeah, that's not an extensive list. Those are like <laughs> the, the best of. Uh, so Yeah, James Shields did not crack that. So there's all these injuries. Uh, and Sam's uh, kind of most controversial statement in the article uh, is this quote. He says, it's gray skies over every good pitcher you can spot, but there's an awkward silver lining here, a very awkward, super awkward silver lining. Baseball kind of needs these injuries. So strikeouts this year are up to 8.2 per team per game. So uh, you know, over 16 mm-hmm. total for a game if you go to a uh, – a baseball game, you're going to see on average 16 strikeouts. And just like each of the past 10 seasons, it's the uh, most strikeouts we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So that's a crazy stat to me that each of the past 10 seasons, that season has been the highest uh, up to up to that point. So 8.2 is a lot more than last year even. You know, that might come down a little bit as the season progresses. It's crazy. That's almost a third of the outs in a game are mm-hmm. strikeouts. Yeah. And, and it's there doesn't seem to be a plateau. It seems to just keep rising. Uh, that 8.2 is 27% higher than just what it was in 2000 and 45% higher than 1990. Wow. 
Um, and Miller, in the article, talks about how expansion has served to increase offense over the years. So um, there's uh, statistical evidence that shows more teams means more pitchers, and that means more scoring. Mm-hmm. So when, the, when the pitching um, field gets watered down or gets stretched thin, there's more offense and more um, more bad pitchers in, involved in the game. Uh, but there hasn't been expansion since 1998. Offense... Um, has continued to go up, and that's because injuries have served as a uh, de facto expansion. So the number of players uh, used in 2016 was up 14% from 1998. You know, so there's the same amount of teams as 1998, but um, just the amount of DL stints has gone up so that more players are used. Uh, and pitchers make up 64% of DL trips currently, and they serve on the DL uh, twice as long as hitters. Mm-hmm. And as baseball tries to make strides to make pitching safer, um, it actually might cause another problem. So he ends the piece by saying, at some point in the next few decades, either the dream of reducing pitching injuries will die or the game might have a new problem on its hand. Mm-hmm. So my question, Paul, is I guess we both probably would agree that baseball should try to make pitching safer. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's not good to have Syndergaard and these guys go out, um, especially in regards to Tommy John mm-hmm. surgeries. But um, how do you think that will affect the game? If they do reduce pitching injuries... Uh, do you think offense will plummet? I think it's nearly impossible to throw as hard as these guys are throwing and stay healthy. Hmm. So I think what will happen is, you know, guys will continue to throw upper 90s and blow out their elbows, or you'll see a reduction in velocity in healthier arms, which would mean more offense. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I see it shaking out. So you think answer to decreasing pitching injuries is probably throwing less hard and that in effect will increase offense yes yeah well i mean what do you how do you see it playing out yeah no, that's a good theory i think uh baseball won't accomplish that i don't think we'll see a decrease in injuries anytime soon and so i think we'll kind of be on the same path but if they did accomplish that i do feel like um uh, we'd, we'd kind of face another crisis and so like shrinking the zone like bringing it up from the bottom of the knee to the top of the knee would be a thing that would be implemented yeah i it's a good point by miller it's like a natural counterbalance to velocity mm-hmm. you know uh, pursuing velocity at all costs isn't a great idea all right well that was out of the box next up TWTW. when you can put some of those categories you know you got your obps and all that and the vorps when they put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. All right, for TWTW this week, um, I wanted to take a look at uh, luck and specifically at um, uh, unlucky and lucky power hitters. And um, one of the best ways to get a sense for how lucky or unlucky a power hitter is, is looking at their home run to fly ball ratio. So the percentage of fly balls that result in homers. Uh, The best power hitters in baseball hit home runs around 13 to 20% of their fly balls. And um, it's pretty hard to outpace that for an entire season. Uh, The very best season of all time for for home runs to fly balls is Ryan Howard at 39%. No one has ever topped that. Hmm. Um, And no one else has even been above 35%. Uh, For context, last year the league leader was Ryan Braun at 28%. What I want to do today is look at some batters who are hitting um, over their head, so to speak, some some guys that are on an unsustainable track record, 
um, and then some guys who we can expect to turn things around based on their um, their career marks and just what we would expect from a, a decent power hitter. So first, a few that have been lucky, and you might guess the first name on this list, uh, Aaron Judge, is currently the league leader at 50%. So 50% of the fly balls that Aaron Judge has hit have resulted in homers, which is a staggering number. As I mentioned, the, the highest of all time was Ryan Howard at, at 39%. So we can definitely expect this to go down. Um, and then even, you know, Fangraphs has Judge's numbers in the minors, and the highest uh, in the minors that Judge ever had was around 20%. Mm. So even though he's a huge human being and mm-hmm. looks like he's going to mash um, a pitch every time he swings, he is hitting way over his head. Hmm. So maybe a good time to trade Judge if you have him on your fantasy team. Hmm. Um, a couple other guys, Mark Reynolds is at 41%, uh, Ryan Zimmerman at 39 and then Freddie Freeman at 37 um, So as I mentioned, you know, one guy in the history of baseball, Ryan Howard, has ever been over 35%. So all four of those guys, you know, it seems unlikely that any of them would finish uh, where they're at um, or better throughout the rest of the season. Uh, second, taking a look at guys that have been unlucky. Uh, we mentioned him earlier, but Adrian Gonzalez, before he was hurt, had over 100 plate appearances, and he hadn't hit a homer. So he had a 0% home run to fly ball ratio. Um, his career number is 15%. He was at 14 last year. So um, if he does get playing time, we could expect that number to go up. Kyle Seeger third baseman for the Mariners. He was uh, coming off a 30 homer season last year, had a tremendous season. Uh, He was at 14% for uh, his home run to fly ball ratio last year. He's currently at 2%. And then Addison Russell, Cubs shortstop, coming off a a 20-plus homer season last year and a 14% home run to fly ball ratio. Uh, He's off to a 4% start to this year. So, you know, you know, different things can affect that. You're playing in a park like um, Petco out in San Diego. Obviously, you're going to hit a couple balls that, that fall short. Or if, you know, the wind's blowing in in Chicago, things like that. You know, one or two home runs can really af- affect the percentage early in the season. So I would, um, uh, yeah, I would bet on guys like Seager and Russell to turn it around, uh, given their track record and, and just given what we can expect from a typical power hitter. Good stuff. All right, uh, next up on the podcast, we have Sounds of the Game. Well, Larkin, the left-hand hitter up there, bases loaded, one out, and the game on the line. Pena, right foot on the rubber. You can taste the pressure here in the dome as Alejandro straightens up. And the pitch to Larkin. Swung on, a high fly ball into left center. The run will score, the ball will bounce for a single, and the Minnesota Twins are the That was Vin Scully calling the 1991 World Series. The Twins beat the Braves in Game 7, and that was one nothing in the 10th inning. So I thought it was timely because Joe Maurer hit his first career walk-off homer in his 14th season. Mm-hmm. So uh went back to probably the most famous walk-off hit in Twins history. Game 7 of the 1991 World Series. It's their last... Uh, World Series, they haven't been back since. And it was the last time uh, 40 million viewers watched a World Series game before 2016. Hmm. So it was referenced quite a bit uh, after the Cubs and Indians drew 40 million viewers. 
this past uh, November um, that it was the most since the 1991 World Series. All right. This week's Sounds of the Game comes from the National League Championship Series. Uh, the Astros and the Cardinals played uh, in this uh, specific moment. comes from Game 5. Next week I'll do a follow-up and do um, later on in that series. But this comes from Game 5. The Astros were up 3-1 to one in the series on the Cardinals, and uh, they had never made a World Series. So lots of anticipation. This was at home, Minute Maid Park. Uh, when did Enron no, it was Minute Maid. Okay. When did when did it was Enron though, right? For a while. Uh, yeah, I think early two thousands. I feel like most people have forgotten about Enron. Mm-hmm. That was, was a big deal. Yeah. The was it insider trading? Yeah, Martha Stewart. That's right. I had forgot about it. Mm-hmm. All right. So the uh, Astros were up four to two going into the top of the ninth inning. Again, just three outs away from going to their first ever World Series. Two outs, nobody on actually. So the first two batters get. Uh, out very quickly. Brad Lidge is the pitcher on the mound for the Astros. He is their really good closer. Uh, so with two outs, nobody on. David Eckstein singles, the Cardinals leadoff hitter, and then uh, Jim Edmonds walks, which in retrospect was a very bad idea to walk Jim Edmonds because the next batter was Albert Pujols. Uh, and so that's where our, our uh, clip um, picks up is when Pujols comes up again down 42 in the top of the ninth inning. Uh, most of you probably know what happens, but uh, I won't give away what the ending. Uh, but before I play the clip, uh, just a few numbers for you. Uh, Pujols, in 77 playoff games, has hit 19 home runs and has a 431 on base percentage. Uh, Brad Lidge had a rough uh, 2005 playoffs. Um, so after this at-bat from Pujols, he went on to lose two games in the World Series. Mm-hmm. Game two and game four... Game two, he gave up a home run to Scott Pesednik. Yes. And then game four, he also gave up what turned out to be the winning run. Uh, and was never really the same with the Astros after this at-bat. Um, he was the closer in 2006, but had an ERA over five. And then after 2007, was traded to the Phillies for Michael Bourne. Uh, he did get back to his normal self with the Phillies for a year or two, uh, but then retired completely after 2012. In uh, well, I'm gonna have you guess, Paul. How many career innings for Brad Lidge? Career innings, I will say 500. 603 career innings. How many strikeouts in those 600 innings? 675. 799. Wow. So he was a, a strikeout guy. Devastating slider. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a 2.18 postseason ERA, which you would not expect mm-hmm. uh, because of this at bat from Pools. Pools, uh, his hit off the bat, it went 470 feet, and it was 117 miles per hour. Wow. So you might be able to guess that it was a home run. But here is uh, that call. Um, We're going to listen first to the Fox national call and then the Cardinals home uh, radio call of uh, Albert Pools versus Brad Lidge in the 2005 NLCS. In the air, left field, and Pools has given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three-run home run. Stunned in disbelief here in Houston. A single by Eckstein, a walk to Edmonds, and how about Albert Pools? 
He got the slider, but it was not a good slider. Stayed right over the middle of the plate. He nearly knocked that left field wall down out there behind the Crawford boxes. I mean, that's the best extension we've seen from Pujols in this series. He has no doubt that ball's headed out of here. Boy, the collective intake of breath turned this place into a vacuum when that ball came off the bat of Albert Pujols. Albert digs back in. Open stance. Deep in the box. Bends at the uh, knee. Pulls it down on the end. League is ready. With two on and two out. Here's the 0-1 pitch. It's coming. Swing and a long one. There it is, baby. The Cardinals take the lead as Albert Pujols comes through in the pit. And the Redbirds lead this, baby, 5-4. to four. What'd I tell you, folks? David Eckstein, the man. This could be a crushing blow, a crushing blow to the Houston club. Albert Pujols, you talk about a most valuable player. How is that? Woo! That thing left the ballpark in a hurry a three-run home run and the Cardinals lead 5-4 uh, baseball fans were shocked as uh, indeed all the sports world when it was announced in the papers recently that the eye injury suffered by Tony Canigliero last year had not responded to treatment and that his baseball playing days were at an end at the age of 22 bringing to a close probably the game's most promising career great baseball player this week on Deep Dive, uh, we are looking at Tony Canigliero, Tony C, as he's called by Red Sox fans. Uh, he was an outfielder uh, that played in the majors from 1964 through 1975. Uh, he grew up in Revere, Massachusetts, and then went to high school in Lynn, Massachusetts, which is real close to Boston, mm -hmm. kind of suburbs of Boston, and so he was a hometown kid. He was um, signed by the Red Sox and then actually made his Major League debut at the age of 19 in 1964. Uh, was kind of instantly a real good power hitter. Uh, in 1964, his rookie season, he had 24 home runs in just 111 games. Um, he broke his arm and his toes in a game in August. Not sure exactly what happened mm -hmm. to break his toes and his arm, but that's what happened. Maybe a, a wall collision. Um, he homered in his first at bat in Fenway, mm -hmm. his rookie year, and uh, most people think he would have won Rookie of the Year had he played a complete season. But twenty-four home runs, three fifty-four on base in one hundred and eleven games. Uh, Nineteen sixty-five. Again, he's just twenty years old. He hits uh, thirty-two home runs, leads all of the American League. Uh, <laughs> Willie Mays led the National League that year in home runs with fifty-two. And Willie Mays was 34 years old at that point. That's an amazing season. Mm -hmm. 11 war season as a 34-year-old. It's kind of nuts. Uh, but uh, Tony C. led the American League with 32 home runs. He is the youngest American League home run champion of all time. Also the youngest uh, in American League history to reach 100 homers. Yes. Uh, second youngest all time in baseball. Uh, so Mel Ott. Uh, reached 100 homers at the age of uh, 22 and 132 days, and then Tony C. reached it in 22 years and 197 days. Uh, some other uh, notable guys on that list. Alex Rodriguez did it when he was 23 years old. Uh, Andrew Jones, again, 23. Miguel Cabrera, uh, Bryce Harper, and Albert Pujols, all 
23 years old and all in the top 10 of youngest players to reach 100, 100 homers. Uh, so in 1965, he's like this super good young power hitter, kind of like Chris Bryant, that sort of personality, mm -hmm. uh, very uh, well-liked by fans and kind of a celebrity. He was also a musician. Did you see this in research? Uh, I saw that he wrote a song, but did he also sing? Yeah, I think so. He performed Little Red Scooter uh, on a um, some like... Um, popular tv show that, at that time mm -hmm. so uh yeah here's a clip from uh, uh tony canigliero's uh smash hit little red scooter So in 1966, uh, again, still very young, had another great season. Uh, he hit 28 home runs, 93 RBIs. 1967, he was selected to his first All-Star game, and this is when he reached 100 homers, um, faster than anyone else, just 22 years old. Uh, but this is where the story of Tony Canigliero kind of turns. Uh, in a game on August 18th, uh, 1967, while hitting against Angels pitcher Jack Hamilton, he, uh, Tony Canigliero is hit in the left cheek mm -hmm. area. Uh, helmets back then did not have the ear flap that they all do now. Most people think that would have prevented this from happening. Um, but Jack Hamilton from the Angels hits him in the face, and uh, that affects him the rest of his life. Uh, affects both, both the pitcher. pitcher retired a couple years after this, but also... Canigliero um, was never really the same as a player and then um, had a lot of health issues later in life. Yeah, it, uh, mostly because his eye was actually impacted. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like a broken jaw, but his left retina was like displaced as a mm -hmm. result. Yeah, uh, and if you just Google uh, Tony Canigliero, the first thing you'll see is the bruised eye. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why someone took a picture of it, <laughs> but that's like the main picture uh, of him online. Yeah, reports say that uh, the pitcher Hamilton like started to walk towards the plate and like was pulled away by teammates who saw how bloody it was. Yeah, yeah. So the New York Times write up, um, I went back and looked the day after. Uh, the write up said Tony Canigliero, the Red Sox 22-year-old slugger with 20 homers and 65 runs batted in in 95 games, was hit on the left temple and knocked unconscious by a pitch thrown by Jack Hamilton, the California starter, in the fourth inning. Canigliero was carried on a stretcher to the clubhouse where he regained consciousness before being taken to uh, a nearby hospital. A club spokesman said preliminary examination showed a severe concussion. Canigliero suffered a cracked cheekbone and a severe nasal hemorrhage and will be out of action for about three weeks. Uh, so I think most people at the time probably didn't kind of have a framework for how long this would uh, mm -hmm. affect him, especially with concussions and vision issues um, at the time. They just didn't think that it was a career-threatening injury. Uh, 1968, he did not play at all. He sat out the entire season. Uh, in 1969, though, he did make a comeback. He won Comeback Player of the Year, had 20 home runs, 82 RBIs. Uh, he did struggle with vision, though. 
and um, during day games especially, he couldn't, um, at Fenway, couldn't see very well, so he had them tarp off a couple sections of seats in center field, and that actually has continued on through today. Mm -hmm. So day games at Fenway, there's a special area that's tarped off, um, and that started back um, when Tony C. made his comeback. Yeah, and then in 1970, he actually had, you know, career highs and homers, RBIs. Mm -hmm. So it, the narrative is uh, rather complex. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like um, Derrick Rose where he, you know, gets hurt, blows out a knee, and then is not the same player again. Yeah, yeah he was just 26 too. So 36 homers, 116 RBIs, just 26. It's a, you know, a phenomenal season. After that season, though, he is traded to the Angels, which makes me, you know, kind of wonder about just his long-term health at that point, like if the Red Sox knew something, because he wouldn't normally trade a 26-year-old 36-homer guy. Especially someone from Massachusetts, exactly. fan favorite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's traded to the Angels, ironically, because um, they were the team that, that had hit him in the face. Uh, and then he was pretty bad with the Angels. Um, in 1971, retired halfway through the season, had just four homers in 74 games. He did make a small comeback four years later at the age of 30 with the Red Sox. Just two homers in 21 games for them, though. So, uh, and vision issues were the main thing. He just couldn't, um, had no depth perception, could mm -hmm. not, couldn't see um, well at the plate. So for his career, uh, had 166 homers in uh, 876 career games. Uh, so that's a, a homer about every five games. And just for some context, you know, his career obviously was cut short. So David Ortiz played in 2,408 career games, had over 500 homers, and he homered at about 4.5, a homer in every 4.5 games. So uh, this guy, Tony C. Canigliero would have been one of the all-time home yeah. run uh, leaders if he had not gotten hit in the face, in my opinion. Yeah, and his life uh, after baseball is pretty sad. Um, he suffered a heart attack in 1982, and then soon after that, he had a, um, a stroke and went into a coma for eight years. Mm -hmm. uh, during the coma, lived in his parents' house, was just kind of in a vegetative state, and eventually died in 1990 and was only 45 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so just a really sad um, life. No one could have predicted as a 20, 21-year-old that, that this is how things would turn out for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Red Sox wore... Uh, black armbands in the 1990 season to commemorate Canigliero. And um, there's actually an award now given out, the Tony Canigliero Award. Uh, it's given out to a major league player that overcomes an obstacle in adversity through the attributes of spirit, determination, and courage that were trademarks of Canigliero. And the list of people that have won it is actually a pretty sweet list. Uh, John Lester, Bo Jackson, Jim Abbott, uh, are all on that list, but guys that have overcome, uh, you know, cancer or injuries or obstacles like that in their lives. Uh, so it's cool that he kind of lives on through that. And he, he also still holds the record for uh, most home runs as a teenager with 24. Yeah, and the Red Sox uh, renamed a section in the upper deck, uh, Canigliero's Corner, um, that you can still sit in today. Uh, I'm pretty sure that section got removed oh really yeah the oh. seats i think those seats get removed hmm in like a recent renovation that's what, yeah that's what it said on wikipedia oh well for a while you could go sit there mm -hmm. so he, he lives on through the award uh and the memory of the 
The Memory the of the se Seats, the record for homers by a teenager, and two sections tarped off on day games yeah. in Fenway. Yep. Yep, so uh, kind of a depressing deep dive. but uh, Yeah, I mentioned D. Rose, but I couldn't help but like read his story and think of Rose. Hometown kid, has sure. amazing success, and then everything goes downhill because of an injury. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, like, by far the saddest part of it is just his life after baseball. Yeah. All right, well, that does it for this week's Deep Dive. Uh, next up, we're going to close out the podcast. There's a drive by Canigliaro, and it is out of here. What a bomb he is. Canigliaro hits a home run his first time at bat at Fenway Park. Boy, he really hit that one. This kid's got great power. It's a tremendous hand. What a thrill that must be for a 19-year-old boy who a year ago was playing high school baseball. Look at that smile on his face. Ah, look at that smile. Well, thanks for listening this week. Uh, appreciate it. Quick updates on MVP baseball. It feels like it's been a while since we played Paul because we played last Saturday. Maybe you're blocking that from your memory. You're now 3-0? 3-0, -oh? yes. Okay. Uh, this was an extra inning affair. Paul uh, Willie Harris with a walk-off homer. Yeah, one in a walk-off in the twelfth inning, I think. Mm -hmm. Mark Burley went all twelve innings uh, for the White Sox. So, uh, yeah, each week, if you're new to the podcast, each week we play a uh, a game, Cubs White Sox, on 2005 MVP Baseball on PlayStation Two. Thanks to all our uh, live streamers on, yeah, I on saw Twitter. Thirty-two last time I checked. So we'll play a game of that right now. Um, but before we do. Uh, just a reminder that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Send us emails at afootinthebox at gmail.com. We would love to uh, discuss your email on the show or just email back and forth. That's afootinthebox at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox. All my writing and this podcast and everything we talked about, all the links can be found on our website, afootinthebox.com. I think that does it. Uh, Breaking news, Paul. Uh, Matt Harvey was suspended because he did not show up to the park on Saturday. Mm. He's he's had that issue before, right? Uh, has he? He playoffs two years ago. Uh, he like missed the bus or didn't show up hmm. on time. Was not aware of that. Hmm. One thing I forgot to mention earlier in the podcast is I am headed to Indianapolis tomorrow. Yes, that's right. For the first minor league game I've been to, probably in like five or six years mm -hmm. since uh, your playing career ended. <laughs> no, X probably since high school. I don't think I went to a minor league. I think game. in college we went to one. All right, um, it's been a while, but I am going to see uh, the White Sox AAA team, specifically Yuan Makata, and hopefully Zach Birdie, a relief pitcher. Have you been guaranteed that Makata is going to play? Have not been guaranteed, so it could be a disappointment. Um, we are going to miss out on a couple starting pitchers, but um, but yeah, it should be fun. I've heard good things about the. Indianapolis Indians Stadium. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited going with podcast listener Scott. So I can report out next week on my experience. Will you listen to this podcast on your way? To That's, the possible. Game? That's possible. That's uh, possible. I'm expecting uh, some videos. Sure. Of Mankata's at bats. Yeah. We're, I give you authority to tweet this from a foot in the box. <laughs> we are eight rows back. So it should be, we should have a good vantage point. How much for those tickets? I say like $13. Wow. Any like special food deals? 
Mm, not that I'm aware of. Got it. Well, I expect a full recap and perhaps some audio from the from the park. Mm. Your, your live Makata uh, analysis. I'll see what I can do. All right. Uh, you got anything else? Just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.